Welcome to Bibliophiles, a production of the Center for Lit Podcast Network. In today's episode, the Center for Lit team continues its quest to discover the great ideas in books of every description, ancient classics to new bestsellers, epic poems to bedtime stories. We're glad you came along. We hope you find this discussion as provocative and inspiring as the books themselves. Want to join the great conversation? Stay tuned. You've come to the right place. Welcome back to Bibliophiles, everyone. Glad you could make it for another episode with the Andrews crew, the Center for Lit crew. I'm Adam Andrews, joined by my wife, Missy. Hi. My son, Ian. Hey. And my daughter-in-law, Emily. Hello. How you guys doing? Doing pretty well. Excellent. Glad to hear it. It's been a while since we uh, taped Bibliophiles, and we're excited to be back among you today. It's been a busy time around the Center for Lit headquarters. Can I get a witness from the Center for Lit crew? Oh, yeah. (laughs) We have recently finished up a summer of um, wild, insane work and travel, and are now back into uh, our familiar digs, trying to get a little autumn rhythm and repeatable production going. Isn't that right? That's the general idea. Uh, how's it working so far, you guys? Are we are we managing, or are we um, are we still too diffuse from the summer's activities to be any good to anyone? I don't know. I think I spent the first week sleeping and not getting much done. Yeah, I spent the first week just trying to dig out from my dirty house, <laughs> cleaning. We uh, Missy and I actually drove back to Michigan at the end of the summer to drop our youngest off at college. And it's a trip that we've, in recent years, been taking by plane, decided to do it by car this time. Not really sure why that decision was made, but it did add about eight days to the trip. Eight <laughs> great days, though, right? They were kind of nice, It actually. was nice. It was great. You probably experienced to... my yearly angst, though, which is that when you have to leave the house for that long, you come home and all of your plants and, and your yard and everything is dead. <laughs> well, well, we've got great neighbors. Yeah, I also figured oh. out I also figured out the the glories of the garden hose timer this year, which mm. I've been walking past in the hardware store for 20 years. Maybe not really even knowing what it was, but you know what it'll do? Do you know what it does? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Let me guess. It lets you time when you want to water your lawn. Yeah, it waters <laughs> your lawn for you on a schedule. It was awesome. That actually, sounds pretty amazing. I actually came home to green grass. I'm actually publishing my ignorance of even the most basic lawn maintenance tips to the entire Bibliophiles audience. I did not come home to to live grass. <laughs> it's been a real red letter year for the Andrews Jr. yard situation. <laughs> well, You're actually making progress, though. However it happened, we're all back in the saddle, back in town and back to work at Center for Lit headquarters. But I did want to mention the reason that we were out on the road and working so hard this summer, because it sort of forms the the jumping off point for our discussion today. And the reason is that we rolled out a brand new teacher training program called Center for Lit Schools, which is contained at a website, centerforlitschools.com, and contains a giant stack of resources for training and professional development for classroom teachers in the important disciplines of literature, literary analysis, reading comprehension, and all the kinds of things that Center for Lit's been working on since 2003. We did a ton of work this summer putting that resource together, and it provides basically a place where teachers can log in and have access to uh, videos and webinars of, of professional development quality 
Um, things like our Teaching the Classics seminar that we've, that we've published previously are available, our Worldview Detective seminar, the kind of things that sort of promote our philosophy of teaching and our philosophy of literature. But then also a big stack of assignment templates keyed to the various questions that we teach teachers to ask so that they can uh, have ready-made classroom materials at hand and cut back some of the work that they're required to do in developing and marking and grading and recording all the measurable progress their students are supposed to make. So we spent uh, untold hours this summer putting this resource together and developing it and then had the chance to present it at a couple of different schools in uh, back east at the end of the summer. So we were um, working pell-mell to try and get those things uh, presentable and then do the presentations. Um, so we're, it, it's, it was an exhausting time. We're all feeling pretty good because it, it came off well and we may reach the end of the process and uh, did manage to present it at a couple different places and are excited about the opportunity that it presents. But I wanted to sort of make that announcement and obviously invite any Bibliophiles listener who wants to to go check out the website at centerforlitschools.com, but also to use that as a jumping off point to talk about the philosophy of education that lays behind what Center for Lit is doing and sort of have a general conversation about philosophy. It's my most comfortable subject, I think, you, I think you would all agree. What are we doing in educating? What are we doing as teachers? And how can we do it better? So I thought what I'd do today is sort of throw that open and ask you guys, you gathered Center for Lit dignitaries who have poured your own blood, sweat, and tears into this Center for Lit Schools project, why or maybe how the kinds of things we're doing with this latest effort um, are going to help teachers how this project will help teachers get to the heart of what a real education is all about. And in that way, let's talk about that greater subject, that larger question as we go. So Emily, let me start with you. Let me just ask you the question. Um, how would you describe the benefit that a tool like the Center for Lit Schools project that we've been working on, uh, the benefit of a tool like this for the teacher trying to reach the end goal of a of a literary education. What's the main benefit that you see based on your work on this project? Um, I don't know that I can speak a lot on the side of the teacher. Uh, Mom would have way more to say about that and she will put it way more eloquently than I can. But I guess I want to talk about the experience of the student because that's what I came away with when I watched you present it is I was really excited for the students and the classroom because in my experience, I went to a high school that really meant well, and they taught us the, the skills, the quote, skills of reading, or maybe uh, you draw a distinction about it in your presentation between our literary core skills that we're trying to develop with teaching the classics and the core skills of the public schools. And the private school I went to very much adopted the public school's core skills. So I was taught the story chart um, and I was taught the literary devices and their names, but that was kind of where the road ended. Mm -hmm. They were the, the ends, the, the devices themselves and the structure of a story were the ends. And that's where, that's where my literary education ended in high school. And so when I went to Hillsdale uh, to college and sat in front of brilliant professors with excellent literary educations themselves and heard them talking about literature, I was mind boggled. And it felt like they were performing magic tricks in front of me. And then it was really exciting at first. And then I got assigned my first paper and blew it because I had no idea 
what to say. I had no idea how to come up with my own thought or my own reading of a text. And so there was this huge leap between my high school education and my college education. And it felt like they expected me to have learned something in the in-between time that I just didn't know. And I felt like everybody else knew how to do it. And I just didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. But what we've designed is that gap, that jumping off place so that the student coming into the elegant, brilliant professor's classroom already knows how he's getting to where he's gotten. They can see if they agree with his work on their own. Um, They can disagree with his reading, maybe, which is something that I could have never done. Because they have an idea of the principles he used to derive that reading. Is that what you mean? Exactly. Because they understand the way. Yeah. You know, I think you're right. I I know exactly what you're talking about. The student goes into a classroom and watches the professor who's already considered the grammar of the subject of literature himself and assumes that his students have done so also and have already thought about the way the story is fitting together so that they can arrive at a a rhetoric level discussion of thematic ideas. Because interpretation. Yeah, they're at the college level, right? Except I think what happens is we consider the grammar and the logic stages to be age level or grade level specific. So the grammar stage applies to kids that run through the early elementary years and the logic stage, you know, those mid elementary, early high school years, and then the rhetoric stage, you know, late high school through college. Except that whenever you approach a subject, you're beginning at the grammar of the subject. And when you're reading a book, you're starting at the grammar of that particular book every time you read, right? Every time you pick up a new novel, you have to start at the grammar stage with that novel. You got to read it. You got to think about the basics of the structure, who the main character is, what does he want, why can't he have it, what kind of obstacles is he trying to overcome, how do those facts fit together in order to communicate all of the elegant rhetorical ideas the artistic ideas that the work holds. So I think one of the problems that you've identified is that um, we leave behind the grammar of the subject as we grow in the classroom. And by the time we hit the college, the college level, our teachers assume that we already know how to go through the grammar and logic of of every subject, but not necessarily. If the students have just been given more and more difficult books, but have not been given some sort of a pedagogical principle about how to approach those books of growing complexity, they find themselves at sea feeling exactly as you did, Emily, that their professors are performing magic tricks. And we've come to start calling this the professor effect. I think that's Emily's phrase. The professor effect, when you sit in, sit at the feet of a brilliant scholar who is doing these magic tricks on a book and you realize, I love this book. He has inspired me to love literature and to revere the great classics. But when it comes to coming up with those kinds of interpretations of our own, we lack the tools. Let alone passing those interpretations on to our own students. That's what I was going to say. How many of, most of us that sat in a literature class and watched the professor do those sorts of things came away with a respect for the literary tradition, with a love for reading and literature. Um, We want to give that to our students, but if we didn't get some sort of a pedagogy, how are we going to take the love and the appreciation and the the energy that we have for reading and understanding literature and pass that on to our students? Right. In the last couple of years, for the first time, I mean, and I've been learning all of this 
kind of after college for the first time I'm realizing that the professor who inspired me to love Shakespeare who who lit that fire and who I, I worshipped at the feet of I actually disagree with him in pretty much everything <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting that is interesting and I didn't have the tools to think about that myself and he still I'm sure would have uh, sparked that fire but but we could have had a lot more interesting conversations I think if I knew what I was doing I, I think about the fact that I came away loving the the Western literary tradition so um, there were particular books on the book list that I thought were really really important that everybody should read and I, I wanted them to understand them and cherish the, the great ideas in those books but connecting those books with the students that I had was another thing altogether. And I think that the, the Center for Lit pedagogical approach is really useful in connecting the dots. Well, and through the whole thing, I meant to get back around to this, the structural elements, the story chart, the literary devices, they aren't the ends, they're the means right. to the end of literary reading and thematic discussion and ideas, which is the whole point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that, I think that was one of the elements of your own experience, as you tell it, Emily, that's the most striking, which is that you learned some of the things that we always are on about at Center for Lit, rising action leading to climax and denouement, but they were presented as the end and goal of the class or the year, and the works of literature were used as tools to teach you climax and rising action and denouement. So whoop-de-doo, so what? Why do I care? Right, <laughs> right. So, and so we're, we're approaching it in Center for Lit Schools exactly the other way around, that learning about rising action and climax and denouement are nothing more than tools to understanding Huckleberry Finn or understanding great expectations or understanding Hamlet. And relating to those great works of art is, of course, the end goal and the objective. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I think the idea that there's a pedagogical hole in a lot of our literary experience when we go to, to try and be teachers that's kind of the thing that got us thinking about whether we could help or the Center for Lit could provide uh, some sort of some sort of tool, some sort of filler. The, the gap between, as you guys are putting it so very well, the gap between inspiration, which you get from your great professors or your great background, and delivery, where you bring your students along into that same sort of understanding. We found in our experience that the, the, that pedagogical gap usually drives teachers to depend on vocab lists and fill-in-the-blank exercises mm -hmm. as a way to somehow teach literary, teach inspiration and literary thinking. And and this is kind of driven by another problem. Oh, yeah, Ian, please go ahead. Please, go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is I think that I don't know that that is what these teachers assume that those things are going to do. Um, and Emily said from the beginning, she's like, I want to talk about this from a a student's point of view, because this is my experience as a student, and I think this is the the impact of the Center for Lit Schools um, curriculum on the student experience. I couldn't agree more with everything that she said. But the other thing that I have encountered as I've got, gone about talking to teachers about this and leading some demos and and showing people how powerful the tool that we've created is, is that um, some of the teachers are stuck on the same pedagogical thing. Like you were just saying a second ago, they have all sorts of energy and inspiration and love for the books that they're teaching, but then passing it along to the students is a shade more difficult. And so I think a lot of them turn to those, um, those, those, what did you call them? Vocab lists and, and comprehension exams and those sorts of things, not because they think they're going to do anything, but because they've got to assign something. Right. And, 
So if the main content I'm delivering in front of the classroom is my lecture, which is a reading of this particular story, then all there is to do is examine the children on whether they've understood my reading of the particular story. And um, above and beyond a pedagogical principle and a method for talking about books that we're going to present to them. In addition, we've put together, I think it's well over 200 assignment templates, all of which actually share the same principles as the rest of the teaching the classics approach, which is that they're applicable to any story in the whole wide world. Mm-hmm. They are a means like we're talking about rather than the end and of themselves. So instead of writing a big long list of questions about Huckleberry Finn and then quizzing the students on whether they've understood Huckleberry Finn, we've written a big long list of questions that teach students to examine Huckleberry Finn so that when they turn to the next book down the line, they're also examining that one. And the effect I think of that will be to provide the teacher with a slightly different kind of help It'll provide them with space and room because the assignment delivery process is so efficient. It'll provide them with space and room to relate to their students over the story instead of trying to force feed them a reading that they themselves have come up with. Or um, instead of having to spend hours and hours coming up with deliverable material, right? Mm -hmm. That is going to allow them to measure the students' comprehension and progress in the classroom. We've already created templates that just await their personal content, right? Um, mm-hmm. But templates that are linked to the kinds of um, skills we're hoping that the students can develop uh, in a, um, a great appropriate manner, right? And every single one of those uh, assignments is is designed essentially within the pedagogy that we have developed to help the students prepare for the next level of reading assignments, um, all the Mm. while um, focusing on helping them come up with their own understanding of what the author is trying to say from the actual novel itself and no outside sources so that they're not um, trapped in a situation where in order to really um, have a literate understanding of a book, they rely on spark notes or they rely on cliff notes or they rely on their professor's understanding and interpretation. But they actually learn how to read the novel themselves. They learn what kinds of questions to ask of any novel that they might want to read in order to engage with the author's big ideas and the, the artistic presentation of them that he's created. So Missy, if I could just jump in right here, is this is this kind of the the genius of a generic approach to to pedagogy to teaching literature? A generic? Oh, you mean that any book list will work? Well, I mean a couple of things. I mean, one of the thing, one of the principles we've sort of stood stood on most faithfully in developing this resource is the idea that the same kinds of questions can be asked of any story. Yes. And so each one of our assignments is linked to a particular general generic kind of question. In what way does the protagonist strive towards his goal and what are the obstacles that prevent him, et cetera? And then all the teacher is required to do then is substitute in the name of the protagonist of the particular story and then the burden is on the student to interpret any particular story. So the assignment works for any book. Yeah, the concept was to create a track for the teachers to run on, right? So that they can really focus on their uh, material and not have to focus so much on the administrative aspects and the creation of assignments, right? Yeah. If, if there are um, reliable, deliverable assignments that they can use regardless of the title that they're working with with their students at the time, they can focus on what they're best at, teaching, and they can know 
and trust that the assignment that they're dumping their content into, right, the assignment type that they're using is going to be effective in forcing the student back into the novel and teaching him how to think about any story so as to understand and engage with the author's ideas. And then this idea of generic application of a single template to multiple stories mm-hmm. kind of expands at a macro level and makes this whole entire tool, this whole entire program applicable to any school's curriculum list. Yes, because right? many schools have been, they've spent years developing their their book lists and they're very committed to um, preserving a particular tradition in reading. And we want to support that. I think right. that's one of the reasons why the classical approach is so very important. The preservation of that tradition of the, of the liberal arts and of Western heritage is very important to us as well. And we don't want to dictate anybody's book lists. Of course, we have book lists. If you'd like them, we'd be delighted to share them with you. But um, we wanted to come up with an approach that would fill the pedagogical vacuum that seems to be present um, using a classical methodology that is um, reproducible in any classical school. And, th- and this is the tricky bit too. I think I was really well explained. I'm glad we, we came up on this on the horns of this particular dilemma because the word curriculum is actually not the perfect word for what we're talking about today. No, you're right. You're right. <laughs> curriculum is a tough word for this. Um, the best way to describe it, I think, is a skeleton. Mm-hmm. We have put together a skeleton. You are going to supply all of the ligaments and the muscles, and you're going to craft it into whatever beautiful form you would like. Mm-hmm. We are participating in the creation process when it comes to curriculum development by doing all of the nitty-gritty legwork because we want to empower a gifted teacher to, if, 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 if you want to put it as um, crassly as this, to get the, all of the drudgery out of the way and spend all of your time doing what you love to do, which is inspire kids and talk about books. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that is actually possible. And it, one of the, the ideas that really lights my fire about this whole thing is that uh, in a school's environment, especially in a day school environment, um, as educators, we're tasked with something that's nigh unto impossible, which is to quantify education. Yeah, yeah. What on earth is education? Well, I'll tell you one thing. You can't make a, a little list and say, this is education. It's a bigger topic than that, right? Um, And so what we've decided to do at Center for Lit is take on some of that burden by saying education is the acquisition of a set of skills. And look, we'll demonstrate for you because someone who is in possession of those skills is fluent. They're fluent in a brand new language, right? Literature has a language. It's written in a language. And then on top of that, it has its own language. And it's the language of structure, the language of plot and character and setting and conflict and theme. And we can demonstrate the link between these reading skills that we're going to hand your, your teachers templates to teach and the conversation that comes from them and call that education. And I think that it's, um, it's perfectly in line with the classical tradition in that way. It turns out a thinker rather than someone who has memorized something. Mm-hmm. There's only so much you can memorize. <clears throat> But if, we're, if we give you the tools to actually achieve fluency in the subject of literature, then you can go off and read whatever it is that you'd like to read. That brings up a question, which is that, uh, Ian, I'll just pose this one to you sort of as devil's advocate. Are you saying that the use of the literary core skills that we've developed and the assignments that are linked to each one of them, which collected can demonstrate mastery of those literary core skills, 
Are you saying that the mastery of those things amounts to an education to where, to where a student could actually respond to the question, how well do you understand Huckleberry Finn? He could actually say 87. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but that's a great question. It's not the mastery of the core skills that is education. It's achieving fluency in the subject of literature that mm. is education. It's, it's comfort. It's a comfort level with the structure of story that allows you to have an intelligent conversation about a work that you've read. Period. I would jump in and say that is a great definition of education in view of the fact that the real definition of education is fundamentally non-quantifiable. Right. Because education, and we all agree on this, right? Education is a soul level understanding of the self as a creature in mm. need of grace, I would add. Right. That cannot be quantified. It cannot be measured. It cannot be coerced. It cannot be controlled. I would actually call it something of a miracle. But in view of mm -hmm. the fact that that's what education really is, a teacher's job is to go for this other thing, fluency in the language of the discipline. Yep. And I think the way you've put it, Ian, is really, really good. The tool we've got can help promote fluency in the language and more importantly, in a measurable, verifiable way which is that burden you mentioned that teachers struggle under. They've got to do something non-quantifiable, but it must be quantifiable at every point so they can faithfully record and report results. And we undertook this project with great sympathy towards teachers in that situation and in a desire to help them out of their predicament. I'm trying to do something that you can't really quantify, but it's required of me even from multiple directions to give 87s out. So how is the thing put together? Would you want to comment? Well, yeah, Emily, give us just together? give us a quick summary of the of the structure of the Center for Lit Schools website, would you? Uh, sure. I mean, it has several features. Um, you mentioned the professional development videos. Uh, we we took our quick card library and our teacher guide library, uh, some resources that that detailed the structural elements of a story, summarized them in the quick cards, and then in the teacher guides they. Uh, model a discussion so teachers can get an idea of what a discussion of the book might look like and we yanked those over from the pelican society and duplicated them in center for lit schools so in some ways it's similar in that way but it's particular to teachers and that the the um, assignments ian was talking about are kind of what it, the whole website is built around and there are several ways that you can navigate those they they go up in difficulty along the same lines of the core skills and there are what like 60 something odd skills that you've broken teaching the classics down into i'm not sure how many yeah that's are. right the 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 general principles of the, the language the fluency that ian was talking about uh, there's about 65 principles arranged in, in ascending order of complexity for, from grammar level through logic level and rhetoric level skills that have to do with the structural elements of fiction, plot, conflict, and theme, that sort of thing. The literary devices common to all stories. Each one of those things is is expressed as a as a core skill. And then for each one, we have created a handful of assignment templates of different types, short answer assignments, uh, fill in the blank assignments, story chart assignments, oral recitation assignments, and that sort of thing. So I think Ian mentioned 230 something assignment templates in all, covering all of the structural elements of fiction at all three cognitive levels, grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And as Emily mentioned, this library of assignment templates is sortable by every feature, by 
by trivium level, cognitive level, by element of fiction, by assignment type, all that sorts of things. So it's very easy for the teacher to say, I'm talking about plot at the grammar level today. I need a fill in the blank or short answer or story chart exercise. And he or she can go quickly to the library and find something that will work for the book that, that he or she is working on. And lest you be misunderstood, um, the grammar level is included in the rhetoric level assignment bank. So whereas if you're um, looking for an assignment for someone in the second grade, the only assignments you'll find will be grammar level assignments. When you're looking for an assignment for someone who's approaching um, the tenth grade, the first conversations at the 10th grade level, you'll find both grammar and logic assignments in addition to some rhetoric level assignment templates. To address that problem that you you two ladies talked about a moment ago, uh, the professor effect, which happens Mm -hmm. when you don't start at the beginning of the scarlet letter, you start at the end. Yeah. There's a, there's a, um, a mentality that says, um, now that I'm old, I put away childish things like story charts or um, preliminary conversations about, um, protagonists and antagonists. And we're going to just kind of cut to the chase, except when we cut to the chase, oftentimes we leave our class behind. You know, we need to give them an opportunity to review the grammar of the subject, model the approach to the grammar um, of the subject when they're at the age that they're at, you know? So let's say they're, they're seniors in high school, but they're approaching Moby Dick. And we're not going to jump right into the thematic conversation about Moby Dick. We're going to start with the preliminary things because that's what the author does. He presents his characters in a particular setting in order to develop the problems in the story so that he can, through his answer or overcoming those obstacles, um, talk about those larger ideas. And we want to lead our students down the path toward understanding those big ideas along with him, right? So we're going to start with the grammar of Moby Dick and move through the logic to see how those, those structural elements, those artistic elements connect with one another in order to communicate the rhetorical ideas at their core. That's what these particular assignments are designed to do. In addition to the assignment library, the website also, also includes um, membership for all teachers in a series of monthly webinars, live sessions with Center for Lit teachers uh, addressing various aspects of teaching in the classroom. Uh, we've got one scheduled this week on reading quizzes and daily work, and we're going to talk about a grammar level application of that idea and some tools that the website provides. And then we'll do the same thing at the logic level and the rhetoric level, all in the space of a short hour now, the teachers can either attend live or they can download a recording later and use it to continue their own education. Uh, go ahead, Emily, say, and, and say something about the forum as well. Oh, well, I was before we move past the assignment templates too far, I wanted to note that we also have planners, right? We have a daily planner and an uh, annual lesson planner. And um, part of coming to Center for Lit Schools is training and how to use them. But it's it's awesome. It's a... Uh, we've come up with a really elegant way to choose which assignments you're going to use that year and make sure you cover all of your bases and kind of mitigate the stress of having to stare 200 assignments in the face and not know where to start. So we have those. Um, We do have a lesson sharing forum. So we do have example assignments completed. So you can see what it would look like to fill out the different assignments 
with a particular story in mind, get an idea of what we were aiming for when we created the assignment. We have those for a grammar level book, a logic level book, and a rhetoric level book. But um, we also have the lesson sharing forum where anyone could submit any of their work that they're doing so that teachers can cross-pollinate their ideas and and uh, show how they have chosen to use our assignment library. Um, and finally, I don't know if anyone is going to use it. I'm really excited about it. I think it could be great, but we have professional development credits available uh, for teachers to earn, to show their their headmasters, their principals, that they are continuing their in. education. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, so what we what we're doing is is um, telling everybody we can tell about this resource because we think it hooks back into the essential impulse that makes Center for Lit go from the beginning, which is to provide a community of like-minded teachers and readers with the tools to pursue that passion and to pursue that love uh, more efficiently, more effectively, more productively based on our own experience and expertise. We think this is kind of the next step in that, in that goal and in that mission to apply the good things that we've seen from teaching the classics and from some of our other resources that you can find at centerforlit.com and in the Pelican Society to the formal day school classroom, which, as you guys have said in the last few minutes, has some specific characteristics that make it kind of a unique uh, environment uh, in which to study literature. And we think this tool really, really will be helpful to teachers in that environment. I think there are just there are problems that are particular to homeschooling and you guys went in 15 years ago and kind of held up their hands there, but it's really exciting to see that. I mean, because classroom teachers have their own whole, there are different problems, but they have their own problems too. And I know all kinds of exhausted teachers, my peers and friends that I graduated with. And mm -hmm. I think it's really exciting that they have something to hold their hands up mm -hmm. to potentially. I like the way you put that. Any other thoughts, you guys, that you'd like to share with the uh, with the bibliophiles listenership? I guess just um, I guess I would just want to talk about the inspiration behind it, and you guys have been bouncing around that a little bit. But the idea is that um, we really believe in the movement that's going on toward well, it's very classical in its orientation, and I mean that both practically and. Um, theoretically. Classical in its paradigm, its pedagogical ideas or ideology, classical in its commitment to preserving a particular tradition of liberal arts um, and values. And we see the tremendous, it's a tremendous boulder people are trying to push uphill that are committed to this paradigm especially in a day school environment. Um, like Emily said, it's very different than the boulder that parents are trying to push uphill within their homes, which is just as big. But um, in a day school environment, because of the necessity to communicate with administrators and parents regarding the progress of the student up the hill and the difficulty of communicating or, or measuring the success of any individual student's um, growth at the soul level <laughs> as a result of the kind of education that we're trying to give them, um, it's, it's, a, it's a real burden 
um, it's a it's a, a worthy, laudable goal, and we really want to support teachers in their efforts and administrators in their efforts to um, to do this this noble thing. So that's why the practical nuts and bolts curriculum. Ian, if people are interested in more information, how do they get it? Well, you can visit the website at centerforlitschools.com and there will be a little information there. But probably if you if you listen to this whole um, long-winded ad for <laughs> Schools, first of all, bless you. And then secondly, uh, the best way to get a hold of, of more of the same, including maybe getting your hands on some of these resources, would be to send me an email at i.andrews at centerforlit.com. By the way, feel free to email me if this is not what you're interested in, too. I'd love to hear from you. Um, <laughs> but I am I am the person to come to for getting on the schedule, and I'd be happy to set up a uh, an in-person online meeting and say hi and tell you uh, everything I can and answer any questions you might have about this resource moving forward. And probably to be clear, right now we're we're talking mostly to heads of schools or, or those in, in charge of developing literature curriculum across the board of schools. But in a couple weeks or a month, if I understand correctly, there is going to be an option for individual literature teachers to be involved, right? We're not quite there yet, but, but, uh, we actually are, are, more than ready for oh, we are. individual teachers to, oh, well then, to sign ignore up. Ignore me. <laughs> um, there, there are a handful of resources we're still in the process of putting uh, of putting up. So over the course of the next month or so, things will get more complete inside the Center for Lit Schools website. But it is uh, high time that anyone who would like to should sign up and Sweet. find out about the details. Thank you, guys. I appreciate your um, Center for Lit crew. appreciate your willingness to... Uh, unburden yourselves of the inspiration and the nuts and bolts of the work we've been doing for the last six months. If um, we have seemed a little quiet uh, to you, Bibliophiles listeners on the, uh, over the summer, just wanted to offer an explanation as to why and share with you the, the source and reason for our excitement. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for your patience, as Ian said, with what is essentially, well, at least by one way of looking at it, kind of an ad. But, you know, the truth is we're passionate about it. So we're sharing our passion project with you, and I hope that sincerity has come through as well. Yeah, and we've been quiet because we've been generating content. You know, for years I've stood in the Center for Lit booth and talked to parents that come through um, wanting curriculum. And I've explained to them that what we do at Center for Lit is not really curriculum, it's pedagogy. It's a method that teaches you how to read and how to think about what you've read. And everybody says, great, that's great. I love it. Uh, they watch it. They understand it, it to some to whatever degree. And then they say, but where's your curriculum? And I say, do you mean a book list? And they say, no, where's your curriculum? Uh, which I you know, have, have come to understand. They mean, what do I do each day? Can you parse it out, this out for me? Um, in kindergarten? Can you parse this out for me in first grade? Um, What books do I read? What assignments do I give? What are the deliverables? Um, When's the test day? Should they be writing? What should they be writing? How should I grade it? How do I measure the year in its content? And how does kindergarten fit together with first grade, fit together with second grade all the way to to 12th grade to make sure that my student is ready to participate in college-level discussions 
you know, with, with verve, with energy, with understanding, and take advantage of their college education. That's what this program is. That's why we've put this together. And I think it's going to be as useful to the home educator as it is to the classical school administrator and English teacher. Um, at this point, we've put it together for the classical schools, but the very same pedagogical approach and assignment base is going to be useful to the home educator. So I just want to, I want to say that this really has been a passion project in that regard. We want, we wanted to demonstrate with the, um, the content that we generated with these examples, these sample assignments that we've actually gone ahead and completed at the various grammar, logic, and rhetoric stages, the kind of development that we would hope to see in a student who goes through the Center for Lit approach from kindergarten through 12th grade. So if you are interested in more information, please send Ian an email, i.andrews at centerforlit.com, or come and visit us at centerforlitschools.com. Thanks again. please note that if you send me an email asking for details and do not recommend to me your favorite book, I will not answer you. Nope. (laughs) You definitely (laughs) want to email Ian. You want as much of Ian as you can get. (laughs) He is required by his contract to answer you. So tell them don't that. Listen to I'm looking for book recs. <laughs> I need some book recs. Uh, well, thanks again, Center for Lit Crew. Thanks again, Bibliophiles listeners, for tuning in. We'll be back shortly with another, probably more specific book focused discussion next time around. But until that happy day, happy reading. Happy, happy reading. reading. Bibliophiles is a production of the Center for Lit Podcast Network. Find new episodes each month on the web at centerforlit.com, where you'll discover dozens of resources to equip and inspire you to participate in the great conversation, including the Pelican Society, a membership program for folks who love the Center for Lit approach to all things literary. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Until next time, happy reading, everyone. <laughs>